a new series. We've entitled it, God's Got It. With kind of a byline, that means God has got you, no matter what you're going through. And in life, we have to deal with all sorts of circumstances. And some of them seem like giants to us. They seem overwhelming. And we're not just talking about the global pandemic at the moment. I'm talking about everyday life. And even if this wasn't going on, individuals, families, couples are confronted with giants from time to time. Circumstances that just seem so big, so threatening, seem so loud, trying to destroy something in your life. And some of these giants are things like doubts, fear, Shame, it's a big one that seems to touch so many lives and we'll be speaking to that in the week or so to come. Inadequacy, and what I want to talk about this morning is the whole issue of dealing with failure. And Jesus at our invitation will step into our lives, into our circumstances and help us transform doubt into faith, failure into purpose. He'll come in and help wash away the shame. That's why he died on the cross for each and every one of us. And his blood avails for us. It's a cleansing fountain, as the old hymn writer said. And he will reward our faith, our simple childlike trust, faith the size of a mustard seed. He will reward that and begin to move us forward into all that He has for us. And we'll learn to overcome whatever it is that is confronting us. So let's deal with the giant of failure because all of us deal with that from time to time. And in reality, on more than one occasion in our lives, we fail. Well, it's the failure of sin, the failure of a vision, the failure of a relationship whether it's a business failure or something like that. Failure is part of the human experience. And it kind of levels all of us. And the Bible identifies that when in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's not a single one of us that says, I've never had failure touch my life. Paul writes and he says, every single one of us have failed. We've fallen short of God's glorious standard. And that's not meant to leave us in condemnation and guilt and shame, but rather for us to reach out for Jesus who can transform that situation completely. And whether you're dealing with some form of failure that's current, there's others that are dealing with failure that's historic. And yet that past failure, whether a failed relationship, failed in your finances, failed in something else, begins to intrude into our present. And the issue is not whether we failed or not. We've all failed. The question is, what do we do after the failure? What do we do after we failed? Because the devil has to whisper in your ear, you're a failure and you will never amount to anything and you will never recover your situation. He loves to speak about your past failure and drag that kind of thinking, that kind of reflection, that kind of memory into your present so that he can control and shape your future because you're living out of failure rather than out of victory. But the Bible has called us, Jesus has called us through his power to be overcomers. 
And that means we've got to come over something. We've got to learn how to walk in victory by simple faith and trust in Jesus. See, some of the things that the devil may be whispering to you is that you're unforgivable, that that past failure was so big, was so momentous, and it may have been big. Or it might just be big in your thinking, or maybe in somebody else's, and they keep dragging you back into it. And David knew what it was to experience guilt because he failed. He says, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. And God doesn't want you to live with that kind of guilt, that kind of burden. Perhaps the enemy whispers to you, not only are you unforgivable, but you're unlovable. You've experienced rejection and pain and you contributed to it perhaps. But this is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, I want you to catch that. One translation says when we were at our weakest, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. He came to turn it around. He came to reach out. And because He loves you, you are not unlovable. He loves you. Perhaps the whisper is not only you unforgivable or unlovable, but that you're useless. And what I love about the Bible, it doesn't just record the great heroes in some kind of perfection that is not connected to real life. So many of them experience failure and it's actually recorded. And Moses is one of my favorites because he had such an incredible sense of the call of God to be a deliverer of the nation of Israel out of the slavery of Egypt. And he took matters into his own hands and murdered somebody and messed up and had to flee. And for 40 years, he lives in regret. He lives in pain. And when God comes and says, Moses, now's the time. I've got you. Now's the time for you to step into your destiny Moses pleaded with the Lord. You can read it for yourself in Exodus chapter 4. Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good. That voice of self-doubt, that voice of brokenness, that voice of saying, I'm useless. I've tried this and I just messed it up. And he pleaded again with the Lord and said, please send anybody else. There's another character who I love, and that's Peter. For so many things, he's bold faith, but occasionally brash. But he experienced failure. And I would love kind of if we were able to get a Zoom connection to Peter and say, Peter, would you talk to us about what you went through? But fortunately, the scripture is rich with the story. It doesn't hide his failure, but equally it celebrates his redemption. It celebrates how God intervened, turned him around and made him one of the greatest preachers that this world has ever seen. You see, Peter had declared so boldly when Jesus had warned that the disciples would flee, would abandon him. And Peter kind of looked at them and said with an arrogance, Lord, I can kind of understand why they will fail you, but me, I'll never fail you. And when Jesus is arrested, Peter is placed under pressure. And even it seems without a second thought, I'm sure there was turmoil in his heart at this time. 
He denies on three occasions that he ever knew Jesus. And Jesus had warned him of that. And he said, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. And on that third moment where he says, I don't know him. He hears the rooster crow. Peter, let's just look at it in Luke chapter 22. says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know Jesus. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What a devastating moment that must be. Across the courtyard, Jesus looks and I don't think it was a look of condemnation, but I'm sure that's what it felt like to Peter. And suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. He's broken. He's shattered by his own humanity. That he thought he was so strong, but he found he was actually weak when it came to the point when he was under such pressure. And what happens to us when we fail, it's, it's easy to play the blame game. See, every child learns at some point that admitting failure puts you under pressure and you get blamed for what you did. And parents are trying to train and educate and raise their kids to make good choices and need to point out what they didn't do well. But the child understands if I can deflect the blame, if I can deflect the blame. I remember uh, I've got two younger sisters and we had bunk beds at one time and we used to love jumping on the top one and being warned repeatedly, don't do that. And one day, rather enthusiastically jumping, my head went through the ceiling. Dad heard the noise. There's this big hole the size of my head, substantial hole. And uh, he came, what happened? And we all lying on the bed, our different bunks, pretending nothing had happened. And he said, well, who made the hole? And I can remember saying, rats. I blamed the rats. And it's that instinct to blame somebody else because we think it'll take pressure off ourselves. I love something that John Wooden said, and he was an incredible coach, a sporting coach in the U.S. And he said, we can stumble and fail. You can make mistakes, but you aren't a failure until you start blaming others for those mistakes. And so we need to resist the instinct that is in all of us to point the finger and blame somebody else. And Jesus puts it this way, Matthew 7 and verse 3. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? That a whole thing, you're trying to pull a speck out of somebody else's eye and you've got a beam in your eye. But I started this message with the thought, well, what comes after failure? We all know what it feels like. We've all experienced it on multiple occasions in our life. But what comes after? We often hear about how people succeed and celebrate their great successes and they run seminars on how to succeed. But I think it's a rare and a beautiful thing when we hear about somebody who failed and what happened next. And you begin to understand that recovery is a process. And if you invite Jesus into the middle of it, that recovery will become so powerful and so beautiful. 
And that's why I love the story, yes, of Moses. Yes, the story of Peter. Because it records not just the failure, but the recovery. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was referred to as the Prince of Preachers, said this about failure. To dwell on the past simply causes failure in the present. While you're sitting down and bemoaning the past and regretting all the things you have not done, you are crippling yourself and preventing yourself from working in the present. Is that Christianity? Of course it's not. You see, Christianity is this message, not a condemnation. But in the moment you recognize failure, it's a story of hope. It's a story of redemption because of Jesus, his death and the sheer power of his resurrection. I like something that a guy called Joe Garrard said, the elevator to success is out of order. There's no easy ride. You have to use the stairs one step at a time. And I want to encourage people who are watching this right now who are kind of in that moment of failure, of regret, of pain, of blame, whether it's blaming somebody else or blaming yourself. Be prone to do that. Is there's a way forward. It's not an elevator, but some steps you can take that you can climb out of this with Jesus walking next to you. So what are some of these steps? Well, the first thing is to take responsibility. Even if others have contributed to the failure that you've experienced, own your failure and accept that God's grace is bigger than your failure. That's a big thought. God's grace is bigger than your failure. Peter denied Jesus three times. And for each denial, it was like a nail that pierced his heart and nailed him to failure. Each denial, a nail driven into his heart, nailing him to failure. And it says in John's gospel, John 18, 18, that his denial took place while warming himself next to a charcoal fire. You sometimes wonder why the Bible puts these little details in God's inspired word. But in the recovery where Peter is now gone fishing back to the Sea of Galilee and Jesus has built a charcoal fire. You can read it for yourself, John 21 verse 9. And you go, well, denial at a charcoal fire, recovery at a charcoal fire. What's that about? It's about smell. There's something about the smell of a charcoal fire. And we know that smell brings back memory more vividly, acutely than anything else. You see, Jesus is not going to pretend Peter didn't fail. He's not going to brush it off. Oh, there, there, it doesn't matter. No, it did matter. It mattered to Peter most of all. And he says, I, I, I want you to confront the truth. But I'm not here to bring guilt. I'm here to bring grace. And this thought came to me that was so powerful for me anyway this week is that Peter had lived all his life under the law, under the rule and the burden of legalism. And because of that, he believed that failure was final. If you live under any form of legalism, 
That legalism tells you that failure is final. But Jesus doesn't deal in legalism. He's full of grace and truth. And when you admit the truth, he brings the grace. And with his grace in this encounter where they wrestle, Peter wrestles with the truth. Jesus brings grace, forgiveness, and freedom. John captures this in 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins to him, if we admit to the truth, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So the first step, take responsibility. The second thing, accept that you will fail again. Don't make promises, I'll never fail again, ever. I failed once, I'll never do. No, you're going to fail again. It's part of the human condition. Failure will happen again. But I love something that somebody said that failing is not a disgrace unless you make it the final chapter in your book. I get knocked down. There was a song about this, but I get up again. I get knocked down, but I get up again. Failure is not final and it's not fatal. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The idea is not the number seven. It's the idea, it's one of those numbers in Scripture that says this is a principle. No matter how many times you get knocked down, just get up again with God's help. Psalm 37, I want to read this to you. I want you to catch this. It's on your screen there. Just celebrate this. Psalm 37 verse 23. The steps of a good man, of good people, are directed by the Lord. He delights in each step they take. But if they fall, it isn't fatal, for the Lord holds them up with His hand. Did you get that? It says the steps of good people are directed by the Lord. But even those good people trying to follow the Lord's leading make mistakes. They stumble. But when they fall, God doesn't give up on them. He picks them up by his hand. And I love that. It's like the tenderness of a father that's leading their child who's learning to walk for the first time. I'll never forget those memories with Deborah and Mark. where They just kind of hold your finger and they can stumble. And then they go kind of like with a trainer wheels off and they always fall over. And not once did I say to Linda, this child has failed. I think we need to trade them in, get one that can walk instantly. No, you delight in the steps they take and you help them back up again. And that's your heavenly father's heart towards you. And so take responsibility, except you will fail again. Believe that you can start again. I really believe I'm speaking to people here. Believe that you can start again. It's crucial to realize that Jesus calls you to follow him and not your failure. In this encounter, and read it for yourself in John 21, and reread it and read it over and over again. It's one of the most powerful passages of Scripture around this whole subject of recovery from failure. Jesus says three times to Peter, follow me. And I believe with all my heart, he's saying, Peter, stop following your failure. Your failure led you to go back to what was familiar. Your failure led you to a place where you said, I'm no good to God. God will never use me again. He says, stop following your failure. Follow me. 
You are not a failure. I love something that Zig Ziglar said. Great name, Zig Ziglar. Remember that failure is an event, not a person. I believe that's for somebody watching this right now. You have made failure very personal, where you say, I am a failure. No, you're not. Yes, you failed. It's an event, but it doesn't define you in God's eyes and it shouldn't in your own eyes. See, others may fail you, but God never will. And I love this from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. A nation in the midst of crisis because of failure. Jeremiah the prophet says, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Notice what sparks his hope. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each, each morning. And right now you can express, experience at least, that fresh mercy that comes from the heart of God to you. I still dare to hope when I remember God's kindness, God's mercy, God's love, all of which were demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. So the final step is you've got to learn to step into your future. You got knocked down, but you got up again. And it's time to step into your future. Paul, who also experienced failure, said this in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. I have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. This is one of the things I really focus up on in my life is to forget the past so I can reach for the future. Major Ian Thomas said this, Christ did not die simply that you might be saved from a bad conscience or even to remove the stain of past failure. He died to clear the decks for divine action. Yes, you failed, but get up again because God has something for you to do. He's equipping you for divine action. Let's just draw this together as we come to this intimate moment between Jesus and Peter as they stand on the beach. Peter feeling all the shame as he, that smell of the charcoal fire brings back the vivid memory of his failure. And three times Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And unfortunately with the English translation, we lose something because it's actually Simon bar Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah, do you love me? Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And you can see in the encounter, the third time Jesus asked that question. Peter is hurt by the question. But remember with each denial, a nail was driven through Peter's heart, fastening him to failure. And with each question, Jesus was pulling out a nail to set him free. And he wants to do the same for you. Jesus knew if that Peter didn't let go of his past, he'd never be able to take hold of his future 
So he calls Peter by his full name. Simon, son of Jonah. And Jesus is literally asking Peter, are you going to flee to a boat? Remember, Peter had gone fishing. He'd got in a boat. He'd gone back to what was familiar. Are you going to flee to this boat like your namesake, the prophet Jonah, who tried to flee from the presence of the Lord? Or Peter, are you going to follow me? Just listen to the words around the prophet Jonah trying to flee from God. And there's Jesus connecting the namesake to Peter's experience, both around boats. I love God's word in this way. And Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He brought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord. And Jesus is saying, Simon, son of Jonah, are you going to do what your namesake did? Are you going to flee to a boat? Or are you going to embrace divine purpose? Are you going to embrace healing? Are you going to embrace recovery? Are you going to embrace a restoration of confidence? God's Word is so rich because it's at the port of Joppa some years later that God in a vision will appear to Peter and say it's time to go and preach the message to the Gentiles. You see, the healing that took place on the shore of Galilee with those painful questions three times, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Prepared Peter at Joppa, the very port where Jonah the prophet tried to flee from God where Peter said, no, I'll embrace divine purpose. I'll embrace your will and purpose. I will do. You set me free back there so I could say yes to you here. And that's exactly what God wants to do for you in Jesus' name today. My question to you, have you actually said yes to Jesus? Have you embraced him as your Lord and Savior? He loves you. He laid down his life for you. But it's at your invitation that He comes into your life, brings forgiveness, brings cleansing, brings freedom. It's in the truth when you acknowledge, I need a Savior, I need forgiveness, that He brings this unbelievable grace. As you just with simple childlike faith say, Jesus, I put my trust in you. I can't work my way out of this. I trust that you did all the work on the cross. And because you're resurrected, I receive you as a living Savior. Scripture says, if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will experience salvation.